0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 79, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. 8-Year-Streak-Without-A-Bad-Day. The last time we talked, he hung up on me, but I'm going to forgive him. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother?
2: Did I hang up on you? Why did I do that?
1: It was a Deontay Thompson fight after we were recording oh, okay. the
2: pod. The usual. Mike, every day is a good day to be alive. I didn't hear what number of it was. 79.
1: 79? Yeah.
2: That's Harriman's, right?
1: Todd Harriman's.
2: Yeah, Todd Harriman's. Yeah, I'm all over it. I was really excited because you always make fun of me for eating on the podcast. And I had <laughs> silent food this morning, Mike. I had a silent food. And a silent <laughs> food is... A smoothie. And I left, you know, you have a magic bullet? You familiar with magic bullet? I love magic bullets. Do you have a magic bullet?
1: Yeah, my wife has one. It's awesome.
2: I still had the the little blender thing on the top. And apparently I'd unscrewed it to check out the consistency of the smoothie, which I must say, I was very satisfied with the consistency of the smoothie. Well done. But then I left it on top. And so I went to go grab the smoothie by the top and the top came off and the smoothie did not come with it. And now the smoothie, the carpet is enjoying the smoothie, Mike. Carpet is having very tasty berry and oat smoothie that I wanted, and I was very excited about being my silent food so that I could eat during the podcast. So I thought I, I, I was I was very proud of my my cleverness, mm. and 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 the universe, universe threw it back in my face, Mike. The universe yeah. let me know that I shouldn't get too ahead of myself when it comes to my my, my loopholes for eating on the podcast.
1: I appreciate what you were trying to do for me, but I also appreciate the fact that I got to see this happen in the pre-recording phase of what we do here and hear your freak out, which I think was and and I'm quoting here,
2: Oh god oh no <laughs> Yeah. There was a point during the fall where I could have saved it.
1: Your reaction time was slow, dude.
2: There was a point where I didn't save it and it all spilled.
1: You look like one of these linebackers trying to read the backfield and get to their keys from this linebacker class. That's what you it was slow. It was very delayed and unsure of itself.
2: Seamless transition. Mike, <laughs> do you see the news that just broke?
1: No. What broke?
2: Adam Schefter. Oklahoma wide receiver Marquise Brown, a projected top 15 pick in April's NFL draft. Okay, already a little bold. Underwent surgery for a Liz Frank injury last month that will prevent oh. him from participating in the combine and his pro day. Oh, but wow. he still is expected to be ready for summer training camp per league sources.
1: Wow, that's that's. I mean, that's not really big. Because you know he was going to test fast, and again we don't double check boxes, but at the same time you also have to worry about because he's going to go there for medicals, so that's got to check out, and team's got to feel comfortable that that foot's good to go long term, and there's nothing they have to worry about moving forward. Obviously, I mean I think you want to see some of the agility drills, but again, I mean he was going to crush all of those. So what are we really talking about here? Like that's not the place where. However, I do I did kind of want to see him in the uh, in the gauntlet catching hands see if he's a natural hands catcher things of that nature but there's nothing about brown that isn't on tape that i needed to see at the combine you know what i
2: mean i i think this hurts him a little bit more in the sense that yeah i mean like you if you're talking about a sub 4-3 guy which i don't think he is but if we're talking about that then that incredibly boosts your stock to the top 15 spot that that Schefter currently has enlisted, which I think is probably a result of Mel Kuyper had him going 12 to the uh, Packers in his most recent mock drafts today on Monday, which I found interesting. And so that's probably where you're getting that top 15. I just don't anticipate that uh, being his stock if he even tested regularly. This will matter in the sense that I think you look at a player who was not as effective at the back half of 2018, in my opinion, did not have nearly as many explosive plays at his uh, in his tape later in the season. And you wonder for how long he's been nursing this problem. And so, like, right. for me, I'm not super high on Hollywood Browns tape. But now Same. I'm wondering if, you know, he had to go, uh, not a great game against Alabama. Well, now I'm wondering the extent to which he was injured against Alabama. You see what I'm saying? Because it's at least Frank. And I'm going exclusively off of, like, my experience of the injury in an NFL draft setting, so it's probably not the correct diagnosis. But Liz Frank is, is like a uh, is a gnarly little injury, like on in the toe bones, that I'm pretty sure can go for a bit and you don't even know. Like, depending right. on, like, the, uh, the severity of it, the degree of it. And so this could have been something that's been nagging him for a while.
1: So that'll, that'll be interesting to see what it does for him as far as the draft. I still think he goes high. I think uh, yeah, I think he gets overdrafted, to be honest with you. I'm with you. Uh-huh. I'm not necessarily in the Marquise Brown camp. And what we're going to be doing on this show, the main topic is going to be players that we feel are overrated in the NFL draft and players that we feel are underrated in the NFL draft based on what we are seeing out there. But we're going to get to that in a second. First, I want to get to something because Tony Pauline put this out there that the Eagles might be looking to make a splash in free agency when it comes to filling the edge rusher need. And of course, you know, the normal big names that are out there, everyone wants Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and Demarcus Lawrence who's probably going to get tagged. And Robbie Anderson, who is a restricted free agent who might get tendered, probably should get tendered if they don't sign a deal at the very least, a second round tender, which costs them less than five million dollars. I mean, that's a no brainer to me. So some of those top targets out there might not even be might not even be available for the Eagles. But when you look at making a splash in free agency, I just don't know if that's something that is up Howie Roseman's alley. And I'm actually writing this up for BleedingGreenNation.com. And you'll see my reasoning for this as to why I don't believe that kind of big splash will happen. But are there any free agent targets that you think realistically that you would pound the table for for the Eagles, whether it be big or small?
2: Are we talking specifically edge or are we talking overall?
1: You can do both. Because, I mean, if it's edge, I'm thinking probably Preston Smith. But like Preston's interesting because he was a guy that chose not to get the contract extension last year when he probably would have gotten less long-term money and kind of bet on himself to play up to a bigger contract. Didn't necessarily do that, didn't necessarily fill out the box score, but now that he's a free agent, I think reportedly he's looking for somewhere around $11 million a year, which for me would put him out of range for the Eagles, but that low sack output may drop that number to the point where maybe the Eagles could snag him up. And the way that the Eagles do their contracts with free agents, and you can look at this with Brandon Brooks, you can look it at that with Rodney McLeod, these are big deals when you look at like the line of Rodney McLeod side for five years, $35 million. But the fact right. is, through the first three years of that deal, same with Brandon Brooks, they both averaged under $5 million per year in the first three years of those contracts. So the way they're set up and the way they get – restructure it eventually because Howie will kick the can down the road and then bend that can later on to do whatever the team needs to do to get the right cap situation maybe preston smith is able to take a contract like that but if you're looking at like demarcus lawrence like he's gonna get tagged Like, like i i don't know about some of these big names that are out there that they're trying to link to the eagles i don't think they make a whole lot of sense to be to be honest with you
2: right so here's the thing I don't take seriously any any idea the Eagles are going to be making a big splash of free agency for a couple major reasons. Number one, you're you're extending Carson Wentz, if not at the end of this upcoming season, then at the end of the next upcoming season. So either for twenty twenty or for twenty twenty one. Right. That is going to be over thirty million per year, and it's going to be for about five years. So we we right. we start there. That is a lot of money. You're also going to be paying what will be top ten contracts at defensive tackle and Fletcher Cox. Right tackle in Lane Johnson and tight end at Zach Ertz, right? Right. Along with potentially other big time contracts that your rookies might, you know, uh, necessitate at some point. Who knows? Okay. That's one. Two, you have Nick Foles, 99% chance leaving in free agency. That's a third round comp pick every day of the week. And it's important to, I think here at this point, remind everybody kind of how the comp pick stuff goes through. Comp picks can be awarded in rounds three, four, five, or six a team can have a maximum of four. I believe the grand total added is like 32 or 38 or something like that. Who receives a comp pick and what round they receive it in is based on a formula the NFL has that we don't. And that formula we, we know is to some degree related to uh, APY, right? the average amount of money you're making per year. So the more money that you make per year on your contract as a free agent, the larger the comp pick is for the team that lost you. And remember, comp picks, Again, at the end of the third, end of the fourth, end of the fifth, end of the sixth round are picks that are meant to help mitigate the loss of big time free agents for teams. So you lose a huge free agent, but you get a high comp pick in return. When I have an extra third round pick, that's obviously a valuable thing. And especially recently, when comp picks were allowed to be traded, now you have a new trading chip. And that's something that Harry Roseman has already cashed in on before. Right. Also imperative to the comp pick formula and understanding how it impacts team building is the fact that comp picks can be canceled out for the free agents that you gain. So when Philadelphia gives up, uh, they, they lose um, Nick Foles to free agency. Well, he's going to be one of the highest APY, average per year contracts in the free agency market because he's a quarterback. He's going to get paid a lot of money. So they expect a third round comp pick for him, right? If Philadelphia signs one of the highest APY contracts in free agency, they already don't have a ton of money. They shouldn't be signing big time contracts. But if they sign that, they have the potential to cancel out the third round pick that they would be getting back for Nick Foles, which you could conceptualize it as, OK, we're trading Nick Foles for the opportunity for the cap space to sign, say, Earl Thomas to a three year deal at, you know, 12, 13 million per year. Sure, like you you can you can break it down that way. But the big thing here, going back to point one, is that a third round comp pick costs a million dollars a year and a big contract does not. Then you throw in the fact that Brandon Graham could potentially be one of the higher APY contracts of this free agency cycle. Ronald Darby could potentially be one of the higher uh, APYs on this free agency cycle. Heck, dude, we don't even know what Golden Tate is going to get. Golden Tate has has very much the chance to, and this was what was discussed when he was traded, Eagles traded a third for him. Well, if they get a fourth or a fifth back in the comp pick formula, then I think that's pretty good. But if you're going to go out signing free agents, you have the potential to cancel out those comp picks. You have to be very privy of that and and the contracts you're giving out, as well as the other factors that we don't really understand. So there's obviously some wiggle room here. So yeah, I don't anticipate Preston Smith coming in for eight figure per year number. You know what I mean? Like if I had to tag any player who I thought they would potentially be signing for for a bigger deal, the only name who I think is realistic is Earl Thomas. Only right. name I think I think if they have a chance to swing at Earl Thomas for two three years, obviously I know they just restructured on a cloud to keep him, but he, he, a he could not be healthy and b it's Earl Thomas bring in Earl Thomas for two three years, your secondary like, that'll just be great. That'll give you so much time to solve the safety <laughs> position, right? It's Earl Thomas. This is not a question. Even coming off injury, that's the only one in my opinion I can see them investing particular money in. I can see small time guys. You mentioned Robbie Anderson. If Anderson hits the free agent market, I thought I was going to be all over him. The the cheap version of Robbie Anderson that's on the free agent market is John Brown, the wide receiver who right. was out of Arizona went to Baltimore. He's if you want your cheap field stretcher this time instead of going for an older field stretcher, Torrey Smith, Mike Wallace, John Brown is 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 twenty nine years old, so he's a bit of a younger option. He's still going to be you know he's only two years younger than Tate is, but whatever. I think that those are your like cheaper free agent sort of guys. I could see again, like you know, they've been bringing in a couple of cheap veteran linebackers, sure, but those probably won't factor into the comp formula again. Like this is gonna be like the top thirty-two contracts that matter. So those cheaper guys are fine, but I just can't yeah. see them going big on the free agent market. It's unlikely, given the way that they're they're anticipating the cap tightening up and what they have potentially out of comp this year.
1: Yeah, I'm in your camp when it comes to this. Obviously, the piece I wrote from BleedingGreenNation.com kind of echoes that sentiment. Um, I like the idea of Earl Thomas. We'll see what happens with that. But one name that I would pound the table for, if we're looking for a lower value, reliable guy that is just starving to start and get an opportunity an op- and an opportunity that is possibly there with the Philadelphia Eagles, if Jordan Hicks does test free agency. And a guy that I really like is LJ Fort, the linebacker, from the Pittsburgh Steelers, who got an opportunity to start after five years in the NFL, was out for one year back in 2013 while he was still trying to break his way into the league, had a couple starts week 17 against the Cincinnati Bengals last year. I thought he had a fantastic game, made plays in coverage, made plays against the run. I think he would come in and immediately challenge both Nate Gary and Kamu Hill for a starting position on this team and I got to tell you, he, he might win. Uh, he, he at least would be in the base package for me because I definitely think he's a lot better than Nate Gary. We'll see what what Camus brings in his in his next year. But that is one name that I'm definitely looking forward to as far as someone that the Eagles might target if Hicks does not come back.
2: Yeah, my one, like, you know, kind of like, I don't know, like, we're talking about like, like cheap crushes here, like guys who... Maybe aren't going to get super well viewed on the market, but just uh, just that we're interested in based off of our viewing. So Trevon Coley, a 25 year old defensive tackle out of Cleveland, uh, who's exclusive rights free agent right now, right? So obviously they have the opportunity to tender him, but he he is very like he's very up and down for Cleveland, kind of beleaguered, like probably one of their like probably their worst starter on the defensive line.
1: You're really selling me. Well, no, no, That's no, no, a good no, line no.
2: though. <laughs> wait on it. Wait on. It, wait on. It. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah. Line. Probably the worst starter. So like they 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 criticize him a lot. They want to improve upon him. When they when you look at that defense, what you want to do is you want to leave Ogunjobi inside. Miles Garrett's your strong side end. They want to kick Emmanuel Ogba inside more, takes away Coley reps, and then put somebody else in the edge, whether that's Gennard Avery or a draft pick. So Coley's kind of like the odd man out in terms of what they're looking at right now. I would imagine they tender him. He's super cheap. But if they do not. Long, explosive, penetrator. He's like the ideal defensive tackle, three defensive tackle, four for this team. You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to hold up well against the run. You're going to have to work on him for that. But dude's got great physical traits. Great physical traits. And he can can be an absolute just bull in a china shop in terms of generate initial displacement, generate initial pressure, force quarterback off his spot, and then it's a four-man rush for Philadelphia, and that's always big. I liked what I saw a lot from Trevon Coley when I was running through Browns tape this year. I was surprised to see that Browns fans are much more bearish on him than I would have anticipated given off what I saw. So either I caught his best games, or it's just a situation where a player's been developing, but his worst plays are what's remembered by a franchise, by a fan base. So I, if Javon Coley hits the free agent market, I'm there.
1: You know, that sounds a lot like, you know, as far as like the odd man out type of deal, but you still like what you saw. This is a guy that we saw in prep for the matchup with the Houston Texans. I believe Christian Covington, his contract is up. And that's another big 6'3, 300 pounder that flashed on tape and has a little bit of uh, mobility that you wouldn't expect for a big man. They like to drop him, they like to do different things with him. So, like, those are the type of guys Mm -hmm. that that we're really looking for. And, of course, you know, if they sign with the Eagles, we'll do a big breakdown on bleedinggreennation.com for them. And, you know, we're getting geared up for free agency, but we'll move on from that and we'll get on to the main topic. But Ben has one more point as he's pointing. Well, now,
2: one question. I just have a question. Are you in on Vinnie Curry coming back?
1: Like, I would check the price tag and then come back a week later and see if he's on sale.
2: I'm there on March 14th, baby. I'm there. Yeah? Absolutely. I mean, no, I have no issues.
1: Yeah. Perfect fit. Why not? Yeah. And it gives Here's you some depth.
2: You, you were paying Vinny Curry X amount when he was here. And he was taking, well, like, 55% of the snaps. And Derek Barnett was taking 55% of the snaps. He leaves for a year. Derek Barnett gets injured, obviously. But comes back. Derek Barnett's going to be taking 65% of the snaps. He's going to be taking 45% of the snaps. And you can pay him accordingly. You know what I mean?
1: They could create the contract that right. would have allowed would have allowed them to keep him a, a year ago, right. basically.
2: Yeah, exactly. Which is like, like the percentage of snaps you wanted him to be playing when it was Derek Barnett's rookie year, but you couldn't play him there yet because you were paying him a ton of money. That's right. the contract you can give him now. And that's what makes sense <laughs> for Vinny Curry because he's a one-speed pitcher. So just put him out there on third and long. We're, we're fine. He's yeah. also a veteran who knows the system he can immediately come in and play. So I hear you in terms of, like, checking the price tag. I don't think there's going to be a big market for him, which is why I think he's going to be cheap. You you know, you can absolutely slow play like that if you want to. Just to me, that, that's an easy, like, you know, you know that fits. You know you need depth. You're not, you don't have to sign him to a long-term deal. It gives you freedom to go somewhere Like, you know, you don't have to draft the edge early. Great situation. Great situation.
1: Yeah, and he's turning 31. He only had two and a half sacks last year. So you're right. The price tag on the first time may be a rollback price, and you bring him in.
2: Right.
0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S Y L V A N 29.com.
1: Getting on to the main topic of the show, which is turning into a subtopic of the show as typical of the Kissed and Solak show. And Ben looks like. Welcome to the show. Oh, Ben. Overrated, underrated for the NFL draft, guys, that we view okay. higher or lower than Big Draft TM.
2: Okay, so here's the thing about Devin White, the linebacker at LSU. Tell me. We, we should start by saying I've seen him compared to Ray Lewis multiple times, <laughs> which you could be Ray Lewis. Being compared to Ray Lewis multiple times means you're overrated. It's just the, the rule. You do not compare players to first ballot Hall of Famers. You don't. Right. Because even if you're right, you were wrong because your process was stupid.
1: And it's unfair. Right. It's totally unfair. It's just like,
2: unfair. like, oh, he reminds me of Ray Lewis. No, he doesn't. <laughs> One thing he does is reminiscent of Ray Lewis, but he right. can't remind you of Ray Lewis because Ray Lewis dominated the NFL for five plus years at the position and he has not played in the NFL yet. You know what I mean? Like, It's just not like, oh, I could see him having a Ray Lewis effect on a defense. No, you can't. Because Ray Lewis changed what it is for a linebacker to have an effect on a defense. You, know, like, you just did, nope. Like, ah, I could see him being the exception to the rule. Well, then you're not looking at the right things. Like, that's just like, just don't do it. So.
1: he reminds me of Lawrence Taylor, who totally revolutionized the game.
2: Right? Stop. You know what I mean? Like, ah, I can't, like that's why, that's I, you why know, I saw I those Sarah.
1: comments with Demarcus Ware when he came. I'm old enough to remember right. when people caught Demarcus Ware to Lawrence, Lawrence Taylor. Demarcus Ware had a great career. He was not Lawrence Taylor.
2: Taylor yeah and like we like we this is something i've been talking about a lot like you literally can't compare somebody to patrick mahomes you can't do it because either he has the arm talent that mahomes does or he has the unbelievable field vision and instincts that mahomes does but he doesn't have both because right. if he had both he'd be scoring 80 points in a game as a sophomore but he didn't and i don't <laughs> like i don't care what system he's playing you know what i mean like oh like drew lock's arm reminds me of patrick mahomes well cool but you can't say that because it immediately is going to give people conceptions of, oh, he can do Mahomes things. And he can't because he doesn't see the field the way Mahomes does. I don't yep. care what he has attached to his shoulder. You know what right. I mean? Like, so when we compare players, I'm saying like, like White's size at his speed is certainly reminiscent of, of uh, what's his name? Of Ray Lewis. That's great. But when you second, you say like, oh, it reminds me of Ray Lewis. People think that means he's going to be able to track into contact and hit the way Ray Lewis did. Because you just said Ray Lewis's name, right? You're going to fill in the gaps with your memory of Ray Lewis. And White simply does not have great body control coming downhill. He does not have great body control flowing sideline to sideline. He has decent to good, but definitely not great processing ability in between the tackles. And he lets himself get swallowed up by contact too much. I mean, he has many of the issues that you see in 6'2", 230-pound linebackers, except he's like 6'3", 240 and we think that that makes it okay, and it doesn't. I could still very easily see Devin White being... And he's not, he's not 6'3", he's six foot. I knew that was wrong when I said it. He's a squatter. But I could easily see him being one of the first players, uh, one of the first linebackers off the board. I can right. absolutely understand why a team's going to draft in top 15, 16, which is probably going to happen. Yep. And he's going to be like one of my top three linebackers, because this class, as Mike has, has, has discovered, is really bad. <laughs> but... It's very unrealistic to him for it to have one year expectations of him coming in and being an impact starter. It's not what's going to happen. You have to view him as a player who needs to develop into year two and year three. And absolutely, he's got the best physical tools that you're going to find in terms of a a developmental piece. But you have to understand that that's what he is.
1: He is far away from special, further away from special than I thought he would be. But I do get the appeal around him. He's not going to be a top 20 player for me, I don't think. I mean, I've already baked into his grade, the fact that he's super athletic. There are just other concerns that I have with this game. So I'm with you on that one. An overrated player that I have is David Edwards, offensive tackle from Wisconsin. Oh, yay. Who you brought up on a previous show, but you hadn't done the deep dive yet. So I want to take the high road. I'm not going to dig you too much for it. Super athletic dude.
2: I mean, I so I mocked him to Philly at 25 this morning.
1: Yeah, I saw that and I was okay. very irritated by it. Right, and I got a
2: DM about it. Somebody was like, How, why do you and Mike view Edwards that differently? And I was like, we don't actually really view him that differently. It's just a matter of how the Eagles are going to approach offensive tackle in this draft class if they go there round one. But anyway, it's your overrated play, so go for it.
1: This is a guy, I think there was an anonymous uh, scout quote out there saying that he was all-day average. And I watched his tape. Compared to the height that he's getting as a potential late first-round pick, I am not on board with that whatsoever. You watch Michigan. You watch BYU. It was the first two games that I plugged yeah, in for this guy. BYU
2: was not good film.
1: They were. All, how do you have bad tape against BYU? It's not like you're going. I Michigan. I get. How do you, you have know, bad you tape some,
2: Corbin Kalfusi? Is six foot seven, two hundred seventy five pounds. That's how you have bad tape against BYU, dude. It's it behemoth. wasn't every
1: rep though. He was losing so many reps, and it wasn't just against him. I mean, at Michigan, I'm just you saying, got Chase Winovich. The young Kalfusi
2: is a large human being who would give problems to many offensive tackles, and did. Give problems to many offensive tackles this year.
1: He's getting getting embarrassed by everyone. His balance is, for an athletic dude, his balance is some of the worst I've seen from the tackles that I've watched. And I've watched about 10 to 12 tackles. It is atrocious.
2: David Edwards or Greg Little?
1: I would take Little over Edwards.
2: Oh, it's a bad take, Michael.
1: I don't think Little's that good. I have a late second on Little. I mean, he's got to develop in the run game and whatnot. I think he plays a little soft. But he's more clean than Edwards is. Edwards is out there getting freaking embarrassed. And people see that he goes to Wisconsin and think that he's a solid technical offensive tackle receiving really good coaching. He's probably receiving really good coaching, which worries me even more because he's not that developed. Now, I understand. I think he's only three years into the play into playing the position. So there is some projection to go in there Mm -hmm. and the skill set is appealing. But first round, no way can you expect him to step in and start day one. And think that your quarterback is safe back there. So that's one of my overrated guys. You want to go with your underrated guys, or do you have a rebuttal for me?
2: Yeah. So I, I mean, so I don't have him starting in year one, which is crucial. I have like you know the team that drafts him, the Eagles, drafting him with the acknowledgement that he's starting in year two instead of year one.
1: You hate Carson Wentz, confirmed.
2: Yeah, that's true. Uh, listen, you can't <laughs> tell me the team that that saw Lane Johnson develop into a top two right tackle in the league, not. There- Look what? at David Edwards and say, listen, we can make him into something.
1: Watch, 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 put their tape side by side when Lane Johnson was out of Oklahoma. I'm not He's arguing worlds. Edwards
2: is as good as Lane Johnson was coming out worlds. of Oklahoma. But that's absurd. What I'm saying See, is – See, that's you why you can't at, make that
1: comp, Ben. We just had this talk.
2: <laughs> right. Well, I'm, I'm just saying I'm, I'm, the Eagles are going to be able to convince themselves of that pretty easily. I hope not. Right. You said a three-year player at the position. Incredible athleticism. To me, what it comes down to is there are balance issues on his tape, period. All are there balance it. issues on his tape because he lacks balance as an athlete? Or are there balance issues because he has poor footwork?
1: Both. I think he gets exposed in both. know. I think he's wonky right. in his pass set, and that happens to him a lot because of that. Right. I mean, I saw the same thing from a guy I think is underrated, Nate Davis, out of UNC Charlotte. Had some balance issues when he had to play a tackle, but it was because of his footwork. Normally, the rest of his tape has fantastic balance, and he recovers really well. I didn't see the recovery of Davis in Edwards, which concerns me.
2: Well, I'm glad you brought up Nate Davis, because I like Nate Davis, so good, we agree Let's there. go. <laughs> I think that you do see recovery ability from David Edwards, I think you saw it in his Penn State tape against Sharif Miller, I think you saw him have a really good battle with Anthony Nelson out of Iowa, a player who I have ranked highly, who he lost some and he won some, and I thought you saw good recovery athleticism there. Miller and Nelson specifically both being two bigger edge rushers, but Miller still got some good quickness, some good burst to him, and I thought Edwards had, again, like not... Stellar tape against him, but good tape. I guess a player who will get drafted. He's coming out a little bit early, Redshirt Junior, Shreve Miller. But to me, I watch his lower half mechanics and I watch how he carries his weight, and I say, all right, I need to teach him how to get back on his heels a little bit more. I need to teach him how to be a little bit more patient with his hands, and I'm going to eliminate eighty percent of his balance problems. Like that's like to me when I see him constantly lose balance, I do not see it as a result of having poor athletic ability. Whereas when I watch a player like Greg Little and I watch him get thrown yeah. around within three steps off the snap. To me, it's right. because he simply has poor core strength. Like, that's my read on that him as a player. Which obviously, I, you agree, know, like,
1: I, I agree with that. Take core strength is definitely a weakness of yeah. Little. That's part of his run game deficiencies, too. Right.
2: Which, I, like, you know, we're, we're going to see uh, Edwards weigh in, and we're going to see Greg Little weigh in. We're going to see the move at the combine. We're going to get a better feel for it. You know, if David Edwards is out there in the mirror drill, falling this way and that way, well, then we have a, a slightly different, you know, conversation to look at. But I anticipate him being fine in the mirror drill. You know what I mean? Because I think that he's a great athlete in that regards. Uh, It was Kyle Krabs at the draft network who said there's probably a little bit more Colton Miller in David Edwards than we would like to um, admit. But the thing was, while I would not be drafting Colton Miller 10 and I would not be drafting David Edwards 10 where Miller eventually went, I had a late second on Colton Miller, and I'm going to have a second on David Edwards.
1: I had a fourth on Colton Miller, so, I mean, it makes sense that I have a late third on Edwards.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have twos on these players because – You can't teach quickness at their size.
1: You know what's funny is when Kyle said that, it was a quote tweet of my video of David Edwards just getting
2: dominated. I (laughs) don't know. I'm fully aware. Yeah. Listen. I mean like (laughs) – So there's some projection there. Yeah. We're getting very spoiled by this offensive tackle class, which is the best offensive tackle class I can remember. I agree. Because usually at this point, we're reminding draft fans of the rule that, listen – Good offensive tackles in college get beat and it's fine. Right. Like Jonah Williams got pants by Cleveland Ferrell multiple oh, times. Yeah. Cleveland Ferrell, Cleveland Ferrell, Cleveland Ferrell, multiple <laughs> times in the national championship game. He's going to go top 10, top 15, right? Cody Ford had problems against the Alabama offensive, the defensive line. He's yep. going to go top 10, top 15. I love right? Ford. Yeah. Jawan Taylor uh, against Josh Allen out of Kentucky was not Taylor's best game at all right. for the first half. He's going to go top 10, top 15, top 20. David Edwards got pants sometimes. He's not at the level of those players. Yanni Kajus got pants sometimes. He's not at the level of those players. These guys are still going to be in the round one conversation because good offensive tackles will and can get beat at the college level.
1: I'm with you. I I see what you're saying. He just gets beat way too much for my taste, and it's going to be hard to figure out. Like I said, Nate Davis, one year at the position at UNC Charlotte, played guard the other three better balance in his pass sets despite his pass sets being everywhere than david edwards let's talk about nate davis real quick because what i saw from him really really good player and the first two tapes i've watched from him the first one was middle tennessee where he didn't have a single rep lost and then i put in him against the tennessee volunteers so a step up in in competition and man did he hold hold up well he gave up One sack and that was because the guard next to him fell down in his way was like a 300 pound roadblock as the defensive end just swooped in and uh, went up the middle. So not on him. He did have a couple of losses in there. But like I said, I can project him inside to guard back where he's more natural. Very, very easily. He's got fantastic feet. His stance is hilarious because he's like one foot off the ground. His butt super low. He's got great flexibility throughout his body, and he is a mauler in the run game that will move people through the echo of the whistle. So that's one guy that I feel is really underrated. Who do you have on your underrated list, there, Ben?
2: So many names. What position (laughs) do you want? Just name a position.
1: I got a couple safeties on here, so let's talk some safety since it's going to be a need for the Eagles that they fill either in free agency or hopefully in the draft. Hopefully, hopefully.
2: Juan Thornhill out of Virginia is good. He's yeah. good. And I'll tell you why he's good. is because safeties need to be able to recognize route concepts, understand how they're being approached, understand how they're being attacked, understand how they're being manipulated. And Juan Thornhill is as good as anybody else in this class about that. Thornhill is yep. a guy who has corner experience was a five-star recruit coming into Virginia – It's not like he never really panned out because he was good for Virginia, but he bounced positions. He's playing slot corner and outside corner, and he's playing uh, safety as well. And so you've got a guy who simply, the amount that he's doing is conflating his elite ability at one position. But anyway, so now you can absolutely rotate him. You can spin him. And being able to spin safeties is really important. When we talk about spinning safeties... You know, you've got three wide receivers to one side of the formation, two receivers to the other side of the formation. You've got Malcolm Jenkins down in the box. He's covering the, you know, the tight end to the one side of the formation. And Juan Thornhill's playing high. And then all of a right. sudden, oh, snap, they motion a guy. It's jet motion. It's, it's, it's rocket motion. It's orbit motion. Somebody's coming from one side of the formation to the other side. So the offense is switching the strength of the formation on you. You know, that, that's on purpose. And that's to screw with your run fits. And that's to screw with your, your, um, your drops and your pattern matching on the back end, well, you can spin your safeties as a response. So instead of having Malcolm Jenkins chase that guy all the way across the formation, and if it's like, you know, Tavon Austin, if it's right. if it's somebody, you know, Jameson Crowder, if it's somebody who's really quick, i would like try to yeah, beat out a jet sweep, beat out a little, you know, rocket screen or whatever. Instead of that well, now you can just rotate one Thornhill down into the formation, and bring Malcolm Jenkins up to free high, uh, to single high, to the center field position, and you mitigate that concern. So Thornhill gives you the ability to spin down into the box and play single high, which is a really nice versatility that defenses are valuing more and more in today's NFL. Fantastic ball skills. Good length, great ball skills, especially when playing from zone. Good from man. You know, not great playing with his back to the football, which makes sense because he's a safety, but great ball skills from man. Really good job addressing the football in the air, attacks the catch point. Thornhill like didn't have a, a great senior bowl, but safeties rarely do, especially when they're basically right. playing corner for the week of practice. So it's fine. Yeah, I like Thornhill as like a top fifty player. I think he's a he's a early round two selection every day of the week. Other name that I would say is Darnell Savage out of Maryland. Who love him? Hashtag sources. Say he's going to have a really good combine. So we'll see what happens.
1: I would imagine you know, he's got fantastic movement skills. Like I said, he's he's one guy. There's there's two guys that I gave this designation early on as far as free safety, strong safety, nickel. They can do all three. I think Savage is one of those guys. Free safety is going to take a little while. Let him figure out that mental processing to where he can read things and move backwards and all that stuff. But he has that range. He has that athletic skill set. Just needs the mental part to go along with it. But you can start him in the box right away. He's a physical aggressive dude with the type of mentality that i want on my defense he is a difference maker so i like him but he is not my underrated guy at the safety position my underrated guy at the safety position is chauncey gardner johnson out of florida
2: is he still underrated is that still is he still there
1: for me he is because he might land in my top 20 he might be my safety too as we move through this process depending on his testing
2: he might be my safety one and I might He is currently my safety one.
1: See, there we go. Oh, we had some changes there. That's interesting. I like that.
2: I had to watch him because staff was staff was going bananas about him last week.
1: See, and that's what I'm saying. The reason you asked that is because people are getting into his tape and they are absolutely loving his tape, especially if you go back to 2017. And this is why I give him that three position designation, free safety, strong safety nickel. He can do all three. You go back to 2017, you see the free safety reps. You see he has the requisite range and then some. You also see some tackling issues that in 2018 if i think if you take out the mississippi state game those tackling issues are largely cleaned up very improved in that area and you also see him play more in the box and more as a nickel defender where he's hanging with these slot guys he can do a lot he's got excellent ball skills he's an excellent tackler this year i think his stock is going to soar throughout this process i think he's going to test very well right now he sits as a top 20 player on my board Just behind Nasir Adderley, here's the other safety, and in front of Deontay Thompson, who I'm sure we're going to talk about when we do our big board fight. You still have to do the deep dive on him, but people are starting to bail on him.
2: Yeah, because you're all cowards. (laughs) Yeah. Listen! I said Hollywood Brown probably was injured. Tonzo was probably injured at the end of last year, okay? I went back and I watched his early season tape, and it's so good. It's so good.
1: Ben, who do you have as, uh, let's go back to overrated.
2: Are we talking safeties or any position?
1: Re- wherever you want to go, if it's eagle-related, that's great. If not, man, let's just talk about him.
2: David Montgomery isn't that good. Yeah. So yeah. here's the thing. Here's the thing about...
1: I love his feet. I love the way he sets up contact angles. How do you think he's going to test? That's right. Cool.
2: And, here- and this is a classic example of like David Montgomery has one elite trait right that it. elite trait and like when i and, and i really try to make sure i don't say elite unless i mean it so elite right. trait i mean like when i so when i grade out i grade out players based off of the traits i see on their film mm-hmm. i watched four or five games of montgomery he was getting 100s 95s and 90s in the contact balance trait like i don't give those yep. out you, yep. you you don't want to and he was getting them because his contact balance is stupid Dude is literally built like a bowling ball. Dude is an equilateral prism. I mean, he is just as wide as he is tall. It's crazy.
1: And and Ben makes a great point there because when we talk elite, that's a trait that I – a score that I have, which is a 7 out of 7 in my scoring system right. that I rarely give out. Finishing, which bakes in contact balance in there, is a 7 mm-hmm. out of 7 for me for David Montgomery. Yep. The rest, talk about it.
2: Right. So the issue is that trait becomes 7 highlight runs. And those 7 highlight runs become – Seventy-five percent of the timeline when it comes to David Montgomery clips, and that seventy-five percent of the timeline when it comes to David Montgomery clips conflates yeah. analysis for for people who do the work. Number one, but also number two, uh, just people who are who like you know like ask questions. Like I don't think I've been asked about a running back more for the Eagles than David Montgomery. Maybe Daryl Henderson out of Memphis, right. Who's better? And it's simply because we've all retweeted the run against Iowa in twenty seventeen five bajillion times Right. because it's. I mean, it's just like the dumbest thing I've ever seen, right? It's just so much... I'm smiling thinking about it. But Montgomery is not a starting caliber athlete at the running back position in the NFL. He lacks the ideal lateral explosiveness. And I know that's something that people aren't going to want to hear because he has good jump cuts, but they're not very explosive. He doesn't uh, cover a ton of space. And then as a linear athlete, he's average to below average. He does not have good straight line burst. He does not have good long speed. So when we talk about... You know he's elusive. Well, why is the player elusive? Like that's an important thing to ask. That's an important question. Is is wonder this player is elusive for what reason? By what agent is he elusive? And and Montgomery is elusive because he has wonderful anticipation. He really sees contact coming very nicely. He's got full field vision, so he really sees backside cut lanes develop. He feels pursuit really really nicely. And then it's the contact balance. It's the ability to put his foot on the ground and at really weird angles with tremendous balance take on hits make them less impactful make them less square by manipulating the angles like we talked about anticipation field vision but then also he just withstands contact really nicely and then he can go and he can get moving in a different direction he breaks pursuit angles because he's such a a freelancer because he's so mm-hmm. wild you know kind of like uh he, he's so liberal he's so creative you know he he, yeah. he really is an illustrator on the field the athleticism is going to limit his ability to hit home runs. He's going to turn a lot of three-yard runs into five- and six-yard runs at the NFL level. And that's good. That's valuable. It's going to garner him touches. I don't think he should, like, not play. It's just he's not a feature back. He is probably the 1B in a 1A, 1B backfield. I agree. Experience catching the football. Experience lining up out wide. But he's not a home run hitter. And, and, and you simply you want your running back to be able to house well-blocked light box plays and i don't think david montgomery can or will at the nfl level
1: yeah i also think he lacks an ability as a space player if you're going to design stuff for people to set him up david mm-hmm. Montgomery's not my guy he's not explosive enough yeah. now he's a great pass blocker so we got a bump in that in his actually no he's not he was actually for his size stature that stout stature i thought there was a lot of things lacking in his in his pass reps as a as a blocker so i i, I take that back immediately uh let's go with an overrated guy for me this guy is getting a lot of love on the timeline, and I do not understand it. I have gone through some of his film. I still have a couple of games left, but right now, Joe John Williams, Joan Williams, Joan Williams. Joan Williams. I
2: will tell you right now, I have not watched a lick of Joan Williams.
1: Okay, well, I'm going to tell you about him because this is a long, leggy, tight corner, press man corner. That I think Daniel Jeremiah showed some love to on the timeline. And of course, now everyone is on the Joan Williams train. I, however, am not. And I saw some really, really poor games from him.
2: You know who has a uh, you know who has a round one on, round one grade on Joan Williams?
1: Oh boy, hit me with it.
2: Yo, Gregory Gabriel. Oh, oh Greggy. Gregory I feel like baby. I'm gonna
1: be on the right side of history on this one First now that rounder. you say that. Dude, you put on the Georgia tape immediately what you see a long guy you're like okay this guy's gonna be an awesome press corner he's a press corner he can't press he can't press so what good is is the length to me like he's not polished whatsoever he's constantly getting turned around I mean he got burned absolutely burned by the one Georgia receiver that literally no one is fellating on the timeline right now I believe that's uh oh Stanley something I don't know he's number two I mean, some senior, and I looked to see if that guy had, like, a track background. No, he had, like, a punter background. So, that was very concerning. I think he's going to test very poorly. I know Van Jefferson from Florida burned him on multiple releases, including a slant that went to a house for an over 80-yard touchdown. Van's a good
2: technician, yeah.
1: Torched by dudes out there. I believe I put on the Notre Dame tape, which is a very up-and-down game for him. I saw him get juked out by a walk-on wide receiver named Chris hey, Finke. Hey, we
2: respect Chris Finky in this house, baby. Chris Finke, knockoff Hunter Renfroy out here.
1: Joan Williams had the sideline working with him and still got juked out to the inside by Finke. No. Guy can't tackle. Guy doesn't know how to tackle. I am extremely concerned. I get the length like he looks like a Seattle corner like they typically like to draft. But let's not just say that every long corner coming out is a perfect fit for a team that runs that type of system for them to take him early on. Because I don't think he's that guy. I think he's going to test really poorly. He's high-hipped. He's not going to do well in the agilities. He's unpolished in press. I think his tape is bad. And I still have to watch the old Miss tape, which I heard was a very good game from him. Had a lot of ball production that game. But what I've seen so far... Is very very ugly, and I question the people that are getting on the train after Daniel Jeremiah tweeted that out. Maybe Jeremiah didn't see the same games I saw, but it's very interesting to me that all of a sudden everyone is now on this guy's jock. That's all.
2: Speaking of Notre Dame <laughs> games, want well, to know who remains underrated?
1: Notre Dame is it Jerry Tillery? No. Which? Drew Tranquil. No. Okay.
2: This was a this was a player who played against Notre Dame. Was knocked for a bad game against Notre Dame, and then I watched the All-22, and I could not find the bad game. (laughs) Who's this? We talked about him and his his thing against Notre Dame. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is good.
1: Hey, hey, I watched that tape. That was a good tape. Him and Julian Love had some battles.
2: Right, they had some battles, but here's the thing that interested me the most. Julian Love. What is Julian Love? Well, Julian Love is, is a quarter... With good foot speed, who works well from off coverage, and he's able to come up and be physical, and he's a man coverage guy, and he's got some length limitations, he doesn't play the ball super well, okay, that's that's the 15 seconds on Julian Love. Arcega Whiteside stacked him down the field in like five, six reps. I mean, Arcega Whiteside had him, if you wanted, yeah. and this is so important to remember, like he is going to have...
1: That's all over his film too.
2: Right, and, 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 and I brought up the Julian Love tape specifically, I did a video on him, because... People constantly are like, well, yeah, but that's that's a Pac-12 corner, which, <laughs> okay. So I brought yeah. Julian Love because I knew people's name. People would know Julian Love's name because he's going to be like a round two-figure corner. Right. It's important to remember because our single-white side is going to grade out, I'm pretty sure from what I understand, nicely in terms of like market share numbers. And like, you know, he obviously like he had like 14 touchdowns this year and got the majority of the red zone targets for Stanford. And he was by far the most targeted wide receiver. So I think he's going to do really well in terms of
1: production profile.
2: Yeah, right. Do not let that fool you into believing that Stanford used him correctly because they didn't. Because to Stanford, he was a red zone fade back shoulder receiver who occasionally could, like, run a stick route, run a slant route, right? Because Stanford's offense, and I don't say this lightly, is the dumbest thing in the world. Stanford?
1: They don't pass until they get two scores down.
2: Listen, honey. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. They won't. Listen. Listen, honey. If you took any (laughs) modern-minded college football coach, and put him in David Shaw's shoes. Stanford would have won the Pac-12 this year and probably last year. I right. I feel very comfortable in that take. Yeah, You don't understand. Trenton Irwin should be drafted. Wide receiver. Right. Caden Smith's going to be a day-two pick at tight end. Kobe Parkinson's yep. going to be a day-two pick at tight end. He's six seven uh-huh. tight end. J. Arcega-Weiss is going to be a day-two pick at wide receiver. Osiris St. Brown's going to be probably a day-three pick at wide receiver, but he's right. still good. They had an unbelievable Bryce Love last year. They obviously had an injured Bryce Love this year. And then last the the, the Bryce Love year they had a, a, a strong offensive line. In this year, it didn't play as well. They obviously lost their offensive line coach, who went to be the head coach of Rice, so that has an impact on it. But okay, it is shocking to me. We're talking about a team that had four receivers six three and above, and would throw the ball like nineteen times a game against <laughs> awful Pac twelve defenses. Right. I was so offended. Oh my yeah. goodness! But it doesn't matter. So our Segal Whiteside is a much better route runner than he is given credit for. He's a much better vertical separator than he is given credit for, and it's simply because he was very rarely targeted on these opportunities. His route running and his footwork is up with the best in the class. He will test as a regular old athlete, but if if you watch his tape with a technical viewpoint, he understands how to create throwing windows. Remember, separation doesn't mean look. I'm so far away from the corner that he can't touch me. Separation means look. I've created a throwing window where I'm supposed to have created a throwing window on this route concept against this coverage. It requires yeah. an under separation requires before anything else. Not quickness, not releases, not foot speed. It requires an understanding of what the defense is playing and how your route fits into the concept. Our Whiteside's wide one of, if not the best in the class. At that, he's a stellar player. Great player.
1: Love it. Yeah, you put him on to me earlier in the season, and I got a hold of some of his tape. I believe it was against uh, Washington, someone someone like that. And I was like, wow, this dude for a big dude. There's something to him from the athletic standpoint, from the technical standpoint that allows the athleticism or the lack of athleticism, which is average, to limit him. Because he doesn't freeze himself up with his technique, which is a really important aspect of that. We look at Alshon Jeffrey, not the burstiest, but he's clean through his breaks. It's very important to be able to differentiate, differentiate between the two. Ben, I'm loving this discussion so much that I don't just want to blurt out the rest of my names that I have here. Do we want to make this part one? Of a part two conversation about underrated, overrated, and we'll drop another show later this week. I mean, week, sure, because I can
2: literally talk about anybody for as long as possible, so it's not worse to me at all.
1: So let's do that. This is going to be part one of the overrated, underrated conversation. Ben, for now, let's say goodbye to the gentle listeners.
2: Thank you as always for listening to Kiss the Soul show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. Uh, as always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-E-K-Z And S-O-L-A-K-A-S-M-I-O-K-S-T on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. that's Deontay Thompson is good. Please go <laughs> ahead and leave a rating, a review, or a subscription whenever you would like to on iTunes or whatever app you listen to your podcasts. Uh, we are talking overrated, underrated draft podcast uh, draft prospects on the next show, as we discussed, as well as more free agency news as that drops and breaks. Make sure you're listening to, of course, the rest of BGN Radio. Uh, that's Brandon Lee Gowen and John Stolness, who I believe dropped an episode uh, late last week but also be listening to The Good Fight and all of the other Phillies-related podcasts here on ESPN Radio because apparently Bryce Hopper is finally actually coming to Philadelphia, and you don't want to miss everything that John and all of his wonderful contacts and insider information have to say about that. So be listening to all the Philadelphia podcasts. Hey, Liberty Ballers as well. I know we're in the All-Star break right now, but the, the uh, 76ers had two All-Stars, and that is uh, trust process. Process worked, baby. That's objectively good news. So make sure you listen to all the Philadelphia podcasts here on ESPN Radio. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you later this week.
1: We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles Fly.